Well, thank you, Jacob, and you musicians. Would you open your Bibles to the book of Psalms, Psalm 71, verses 17, 18, and 19. And I thank uh, Ryan for reading the scripture. He leaned over and said, do I have to read from the King James Version? I said, son, I'm from East Texas, and the only thing we'd use is the King James Version, Red Letter Edition, Jimmy Swaggart autographed. And any, <laughs> anything less than that is suspect in East Texas. So anyway, that's what I cut my teeth on, and I still use that. And so it's just familiar to me. But thank you for struggling through the King James Version. And David, I'm grateful for the introduction. I thought maybe there wouldn't be one since uh, it was printed on the program. If he had asked me, I would have said, uh, keep it brief, skip all the details. They're not interested, and I already know them. But anyway, <laughs> it was a nice introduction, and I thank you for that. Uh, I, I was born in the backwoods of East Texas. I grew up in the back alleys of Port Arthur, I was usually re relegated to the back row in the classroom, so I feel a whole lot better back in the back with some of you than I do up here. But anyway, this is uh, my assignment today, and I'm glad to be here and be with you. People ask me sometimes, what do you do in retirement? Well, I work uh, in the community a lot. You know, if you live in a good community, somebody made it good. And we need to put something back into it. And so I spend a lot of time uh, doing charity work and with uh, not-for-profit organizations in our community to make it a better place because I love where I live and, and what they provided for me through the years. And then I spend a lot of time uh, counseling with pastors and with churches that are troubled over their pastors and that takes a little bit of time. I spend about a third of my time preaching. I don't preach every Sunday. I don't want to preach every Sunday. I did that for 50-something years, and it's, uh, I'm a little weary of that. But uh, then I, uh, I do a lot of funerals. I have done uh, 45 funerals in the last two years, so I'm a whole lot more comfortable with the dead than I am with the living. And that may be why I enjoy those little churches in East Texas, because most... Most of them are dead. But anyway, enough foolishness because we need to get on with the sermon uh, entitled uh, Learning from the Long Walk. A man asked a lady one time, how old are you? She said, my age is my business. Why do you ask? He said, looks like you've been in business a long time. Uh, you can look at me and tell I've been in the business for a long time. There are some people who try to cover up their age. They try to roll the obometer back, but not me. I want you to know why I look the way I do. I've traveled a long way in life, and some of the roads were unpaved. There are a lot of problems that come when you, you get older. You know, you, you, uh, the, everything about you begins to either to, to wear out or to fall out or to spread out. And I tell people sometimes I'm like an old tennis ball. Uh, I've been batted around a lot. I've lost most of my bounce, but I am still in the game. And so when you get older, uh, everything begins to fail. You don't see as well as you used to. You don't hear as well as you used to. And your recall for sure is not what it used to be. You've heard the story, I suppose, about the preacher that's taking a morning walk around his neighborhood. And he saw a little boy over by the side of his house and had a lawnmower there and a sign on it said, Lawnmower for Sale. 
So the preacher needed a new lawnmower. He stopped and said, son, that's for sale. He said, yes, sir. How much you want for it? He said, $40. He said, is it good? Oh, yes, sir. It starts every time, first time you pull on it. And so he said, well, I'll just buy it right now. And since he lived around the corner, he pushed it down the sidewalk to his house. And the next morning, the preacher was out trying to mow his grass. And the young boy came by on the bicycle he had bought with that $40. And the preacher was jerking on that string, jerking on that string, trying to get that thing started. And finally, the little boy stopped and said, you having trouble starting that thing? He said, I sure am. Thought you said it started every time. He said, well, I forgot to tell you, preacher, that you got to cuss it. He said, son, I've been in the ministry 30 years, and I've forgotten most of those words. He said, you keep pulling on that rope, and they'll come back to you. <laughs> so if, if you'll just give me enough time, uh, it'll come back to me. But it takes me a while even to remember a lot of names that I've known for a lifetime. So thank you for being patient with me. But when you go to the doctors nowadays, they, they ask me two questions they used to never ask me. They ask me, number one, uh, do you dread going home? And the first time they asked me that question, I said, why are you asking me that? And he said, well, I have to according to the law. He said, because there are some people who are abused at home. And I said, well, that's the only place I'm not abused. And so uh, let me go home any chance I have the opportunity. But the second question they asked me is, have you fallen lately? And they'll ask you one of these days, have you fallen lately? I always say no. Truth of the matter is that I did fall uh, a few months ago. Uh, Kathy was, was not feeling well, and she called out from the bathroom. And she said, Paul, I think I'm going to faint. So I rushed into the bathroom, and I squatted down in front of her, and I said, "Hun, you, you lock your arms around my neck, and I'll put my arms around your waist, and I'll pick you up, and I will walk backwards to the bed and let you lie down until you're feeling better. And so I stooped down, and she locked her arms around my neck. I locked my arms around her waist. I picked her up, and as soon as I got her on her feet, she fainted. And that dead weight hanging around my neck, she fell right flat on the floor, and I fell right slab dab on top of her. Well, she was just out a few seconds and began to come to and was about half awake, and she said, am I in heaven? And I said, well, I hope not because I'm on top of you. Now, now you don't think I told the doctor that, do you? No. There are some things that ought to be kept between a man and his wife. But anyway... There are a lot of problems uh, associated with getting old. But let me tell you, you ought not to mind getting old because some people are denied the privilege. And one of the advantages of getting old is you've had an opportunity to walk with God for a long, long time. And that's the truth of our text. It was read a few moments ago in verses 17 and 18 and 19. The psalmist said, O God, thou hast taught me from my youth, and hitherto I have declared thy wondrous works. Now when I'm old and gray-headed, O God, forsake me not until I've shown thy strength unto this generation and thy power unto everyone that is to come. That's the prayer of an old man, old man who has walked with God for a long, long time. And in those years of walk, walking with God, God has taught him a lot. And he has passed that on to his generation. But now that he's old and gray-headed, he is afraid he might have outlived his usefulness. And so he is praying that, that God will not put him on the shelf, that God will not put him out to pasture, but 
keep giving me an opportunity to tell the next generation the things that I've learned about your wonder and about your grace and about your mighty power. And that could very well be my testimony because I've walked with God for 66 years. And God has taught me a lot, but then I had a lot to learn. Uh, Mark Twain once described a man as as ignorant as a newborn baby. And then he said, no, he's as ignorant as twins. Well, that's the way I was when it came to the Bible. I lived in the shadow of two churches. I, I was as close as from here to that back wall to one church, as close as from here to the dean's office from another church, but never went in all of my formative years. Not at Christmas, not Easter, not for a wedding, not for a funeral, not ever. Going to church, reading the Bible, praying was never a part of our family. But when I was 14, a classmate uh, visited with me and came to my apartment, and, and he kept coming and kept coming and inviting me to church. And finally, I went to Sunday school, and I found out that if you go three out of four Sundays a month, you can play on the basketball team and the softball team. And I wasn't missing God at 14, but I sure knew how to play softball and basketball. And I was willing to take the religion in order to get the recreation. And lo and behold, I found something better. I found redemption in Christ. And so I can remember it like it was yesterday. I was sitting over on the side back about three quarters of the way. I was sitting by myself because nobody else in my family ever went to church. And figuratively speaking, Jesus walked down that aisle and he tapped me on the shoulder and he said, boy... You come and follow me, and I'll make you to become a fisher of men. And that day, I gave my life to Christ, and it was changed forever. And I have spent my years trying to tell people about God's wonderful grace and his salvation and what he's done in my life and what he could very well do in their life. And so I want to share with you today just uh, four things that uh, God has taught me through the years. This is certainly not everything but this is just some things that God has taught me. He has taught me, first of all, that God moves in mischievous ways his wonders to perform. We'll talk about that in a minute. Secondly, he's taught me you can be too big for God to use, but you can't be too little. Thirdly, he has taught me that he doesn't save us from the trials of life, but he sustains us in those trials. And finally, he has taught me that he can save from the guttermost under the uttermost, and that's the way preachers talk. He he saves from the guttermost unto the uttermost those who come to God by him. And those are four of the great lessons God has taught me. Now, the first one is that God moves in mischievous ways his wonders to perform. Now, that's not the way William Coper said it in the beginning. Uh, Coper was a poet in England given to fits of depression And one time uh, he got so depressed he decided to commit suicide and he hired a taxi, a horse-drawn carriage, to take him to the London Bridge one night. He was going to jump off and commit suicide. And right after they got in the carriage and started, uh, one of those heavy, heavy fogs settled down on the city of London and the taxi driver could not find his way to the London Bridge. He wandered around for more than an hour. And finally... uh, Coper said to him, can you find your way back to my house? And he said, well, I think I can retrace my steps. And so after about an hour later, he pulled up in front of Coper's house. Coper tried to pay him, but he didn't want to take any money because he said, I didn't get you to your destination. He said, no, but you've saved my life. 
And he went inside and he wrote this poem, God Moves in Mysterious Ways, His Wonders to Perform. He plants his footsteps on the waves and rides upon the storm. Well, uh, the maid of a friend in Dallas was trying to quote those words, and she got them a little bit wrong. And instead, instead of saying God moves in mysterious ways, she said God moves in mischievous ways. Well, say it however you want to, friend. God does move in the world today, and there is a hand of providence that guides and directs and helps us in life. It is what Alan Smith called the invisible hand of God. And if it's invisible, then you can't see it except through the eye of faith. Or as you look back, and as I look back on my life, I can see the hand of God moving and working, guiding and directing me, even when I was not keenly aware of it. Just one example, when I was pastor of the First Baptist Church in San Marcos, they invited me to come to Green Acres to preach in view of a call. I preached there, and I preached on Sunday morning. They were going to vote that night, so I started back to San Marcos, and when I got back to San Marcos, there was a call from the chairman of the committee. He said, Paul, we have voted to call you as our pastor. Are you ready to come? I said, well, Leo, I'm not sure this is what I ought to do. Now, I knew in my heart, I felt in my heart, that I needed to leave San Marcos. You know, you just know that as a pastor. It's time to go. But I loved the church, and apparently they still liked me well enough. And, but I didn't want to go, but I felt like I needed to go. And so I prayed that God would show me what I needed to do. And a week passed, and I still did not have a clear answer. So Leo called me back. He said, have you made up your mind yet? And when, are you, when can I announce to the church that you will be here? And I said, Leo, I still don't know what I need to do. So give me another week to pray about it. And so that next week, I prayed more intensely about that call than any other decision I've made except leaving the pastorate and going to the annuity board. And, and I was so distraught in prayer trying to find some clear answer from God that I actually prostrated myself out on the floor in my study. Now, I've only done that twice, and, and I'm not sure why I did that, except I've heard or read in the Bible that some people did that. So I, and that's as low as you can get before God, except to get in the grave. So I got as low as I could before God, and I talked to him about, give me some clear indication. I know I need to leave, but I don't want to leave. And no answer came at least not that day. But the next day, I got a telephone call from the president of uh, the Savings and Lawn in San Marcos, and he said, could you come to the office and visit with me? And I said, sure, I'd be glad to. Went down and visit with Bob Kircheville, and Bob said, what would it take to get you to stay in San Marcos? He knew the struggle that was going on in my life. I never tried to keep these things a secret from my church. Uh, he knew the struggle I was going through, and he said, what would it take to get you to stay here? I, sa I said, Bob, I just want to do God's will. That's all I want to do. He said, we'll build you a new house. Well, you know, up until that time, I lived in a parsonage, and in a parsonage is, is a house owned by the church, and one size fits all. Doesn't matter what size your family is. Doesn't matter what kind of furniture you've got. It's got to fit into what they've got. And so I'd lived, and my wife and family, for 17 years in parsonages, and and. I thought, man, alive, a, a new house to live in. What a, what a blessing. And I said, well, let me, let me think about it. Let me pray about it. And I walked out of his office, uh, scratching my head and saying, Lord, 
is that the roadblock I asked for? Because I had, I had said to the Lord, Lord, I am going to Tyler. I am going to Tyler if you don't put up a roadblock that a blind man can see. Now, Lord, I'm not threatening you. Lord, I'm not trying to step out of your will. I'm just telling you that, that I prayed about this, and I am going to Tyler if you don't stop me. And I asked myself as I walked out of his office, is that the roadblock I asked for? And then I said, no, God doesn't bribe us to do his will. So I went to Green Acres, and I was absolutely miserable. Now, there's nothing wrong with Green Acres. It was me. It was my heart because my heart was back in San Marcos. I loved those people, and a lot of them liked me, and I, I wanted to stay, and, uh, uh, and I didn't want to leave. And so I was really homesick, and, and so for the next several months, that was in August of 72, for the next several months, I was absolutely miserable, unhappy where I was. And finally, at the middle of November, I said to Kathy, I said, Kathy, I'm going back to San Marcos. Now, the reason I said that was I was getting a phone call or a letter uh, every two or three weeks from somebody in San Marcos who knew about my struggle, and they were saying, why don't you come on back home where you belong? And that didn't help my feelings at all. And so I finally told her, I said, honey, I'm, I'm going to go back to San Marcos. She said, Paul, don't you do it. It'll be the biggest mistake of your life. And don't ever discount the counsel and the wisdom of a good woman, okay? Thank God that he gave you one and listen to what she has to say. But she knew me, and I think she knew God's will better than I did. But she said, don't do it. Well, I, I didn't listen to her, so I went to my office. I picked up the phone, called Ronnie Wilson. Ronnie Wilson was a CPA. He was chairman of the pastor search committee and my very best friend and one of those people who had said to me two or three times, why don't you come on back where you belong? I called Ronnie to tell him I'm ready to come back to San Marcos, and I couldn't reach him. I thought, well, maybe he's out playing golf or something, and so I called him back again in about 30 minutes and back again in about 30 minutes. Anyway, I called him five or six times before prayer meeting. That was a Wednesday night. So I went to, to prayer meeting, went through the motions of a Bible study and prayer time, got up and went back to my office and started calling Ronnie again, and I must have called him three or four times before it was too late to call I thought, surely he's going to be in his office or in his home after prayer meeting. He always went to prayer meeting, and, and I can tell him, but I couldn't reach him, and I, I had a fretful night's sleep. I got up the next morning, and the first thing I did was call Ronnie Wilson, and when he answered, I said, Ronnie, I'm ready to come back to San Marcos, and he said, oh, Paul, we met last night and invited a preacher to come in view of a call, and I hung up the phone. And I said to myself, Lord, there's that roadblock I asked for, not to keep me from going, but to keep me from going back. And it was a confirmation in my heart that God does move and work in our lives and helps us to find his will if we are seeking it, if we are yielded to him. Now, the scriptures say the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord. And as he guides and directs the course of a river, so he guides and directs us. And if you want a good verse, then remember Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. And when you cannot trace the hand of God, you can trust 
the heart of God. I'm here to tell you that God moves in mischievous ways his wonders to perform. There's a second truth I want you to know I learned, and that is you can be too big for God to use, but you can't be too little. Now, when God was looking for a king to replace the failed King Saul, the only qualification that he set out is, I'll find a man after my own heart. That's all. Didn't have any age qualification, no education qualification, just a man after my own heart. And God could have gone to the palace and found a prince. He, he could have gone to the tabernacle and found a priest. He could have gone to the military compound and found a, a general. But instead, God went out in the fields and found a 14-year-old shepherd boy and had him anointed as the new king of Israel. And I think God must have done it at least in part to show us that you can be too big for God to use, but you can't be too little. God's never impressed with our strength or with our self-sufficiency. As the great missionary J. Hudson Taylor said, all of God's servants were weak people who did great things because they envisioned God being with them. And I've seen it again and again in my life and the lives of others. But in the Bible, take the story of Moses. God came to Moses. He was a fugitive from justice, tending his father-in-law's sheep on the backside of the mountain. And God said, Moses, I want you to go and lead my people Israel out of bondage. And Moses, Moses had more excuses than a Baptist deacon asked to lead a stewardship campaign. <laughs> he, he said, Lord, he said, he said, do you know who you're talking to? Well, God knew because God just called him by name. But Lord, who am I? A terrible sense of failure and inferiority. Lord, who am I to do this? And the, the Lord uh, it, uh, said, I certainly know you. I called you by name. He said, well, Lord, I don't know your name. So uh, you may know me, but I don't know you. And God identified himself. And then he said, okay, if I go down to Egypt and I tell them that, that you have sent me, then they're not going to believe me. He was focusing on failure. He knew that he couldn't succeed. And then his last excuse was, Lord, I've got a speech impediment. I, I have a hard time getting my thoughts into words. And the Lord said, Moses, you're just the kind of guy I was looking for. So get busy and get down to Egypt. And he became one of the great leaders. And to say to us that you can be too, too big for God to use, you can't be too little. Or take the, the story of Gideon. The Israelites were troubled by the Midianites and God came to Gideon and said, I want you to lead an army against the Midianites. And the Lord said, I mean, Gideon said to the Lord, you must be mistaken. Lord, I, I'm, the, I'm the youngest member of the poorest family of one of the most insignificant tribes in Israel. Oh, read it for yourself. I, I am the youngest member of the poorest family one of the most insignificant tribes in Israel, you must have made a mistake. And God said to Gideon, I've done more with less. And you come and follow me. Or you know the story of Jeremiah. When God called him to be a prophet, he said, Lord, uh, I cannot speak. I'm just a child. The Lord said, don't talk like that. I, I made your lips and I can give you the words. So get busy and do what I say. Because, Jeremiah, I don't call the qualified. I qualify the called. And God did a great work through him. He was saying to us, 
in all of those experiences. You can be too big for God to use. You can't be too little. And my life is a testimony to that, and I give thanks to God for that. But listen to what the scriptures have to say. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, and he will exalt you in due time. God is not looking for ability. He's looking for availability and reliability and humility. And if he can find in you availability and reliability and humility, God can use any one of us. So he has taught me that he moves in mischievous ways his wonders to perform. He has taught me that you can be too big for God to use. You can't be too little. He's taught me also that he doesn't save us from the trials of life, but he sustains us in the midst of them. So the scriptures say, man, as sparks fly upward, man is born to trouble. The scriptures say man born to woman is a few days and full of troubles. And none of us escape troubles and trials in our life, no matter how it appears. Grace Kelly, the American-born actress that became the princess of Morocco, said the idea that my life is a fairy tale is itself a fairy tale. You look around and these people that you think got it made, that they've been on top of the world, Somewhere back there in their fairy tale life, you will find that there's some real hard knocks. And nowhere in Scripture did God promise or guarantee us that we'll live longer, that we'll be healthier, that we'll be more prosperous, that we'll have better kids than anybody else. What He promises is that He will be with us. Listen to what Isaiah said When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. Through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned, and the flames will not consume you. This is the promise of God. He doesn't promise to keep us out. He promises to get us through. He doesn't promise to isolate us. He promises to insulate us. And God does promise that he will strengthen and sustain us in the midst of the trials that come to anybody. It took a while to learn that. But he has taught me that quite well. So when trouble comes to your life, it's okay to cry. Jesus did in the Garden of Gethsemane. When trouble comes, it's okay to lean on your friends. Jesus did in the Garden of Gethsemane. And when trouble comes, it's okay to ask why, because on the cross, Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why? So long as you come to the end and say, Father, into thy hands, I commend my spirit. There are those hands again, you know. The heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Father, into your hands I place my spirit. Then he has taught me that he can save from the guttermost unto the uttermost. The writer of the book of Hebrews said that wherefore he is able to save to the uttermost, that is, under the very end, those who come to God by him. And we know from our own experience that he is able to save us till the end, but he's also able to reach down into the gutters of life and pick up the worst of us and clean us up and make us usable instruments if we will yield our lives to him. Now, one current example is uh, Josh Hamilton, 
who last year played for the Texas Rangers and was an all-star. In fact, in the all-star voting, he got 50% more votes than anybody else in professional baseball. In 1991, he was the number one draft pick in professional baseball, but he got mixed up in drugs and wound up in rehab not one time, not two times, not three times, but eight times in rehab until they decided that he was hopeless and they banned him from baseball. And then by court order, he was forbidden to go back to his own house because he tried to sell his house and his wife's wedding rings in order to finance his drug habits. So he went to the only place he knew to go. It was 2 o'clock in the morning when he, when he got there to his grandmother's house. She had said to him, Josh, you can always come here no matter what happens. But she didn't put up with a lot of foolishness. She made him get up in the morning. She made him eat a good meal. She made him exercise. And she reintroduced him to the Bible. And studying God's word, he got back on his feet, back in professional baseball, and became one of the greatest players uh, at least year before last, he had a bad year this year, but he had a great year the year before. As he thanked the people who had voted for him, he said, uh, I feel like they understand who I am, that I love Jesus, and I will use this opportunity as a platform to speak for him. So God has reached down into the gutters of life and picked up people, and you know that as well as I. But he not only has gone down into the gutters, he can save us unto the uttermost. And so you hear the words of Jesus, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. My Father, which gave them me, is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hands. There are those hands again. Heart of the kings in the hand of the Lord. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. We are held safely in the hands of God. You want to know what he's taught me in these 80 years? You still with me? The safest place to be is in the hands of God. The poet put it this way, the hands of Christ seem very frail, for they were broken by a nail. Only they reach heaven at last, whom those frail, broken hands hold fast. Make sure you put your hand in the nail-scarred hand of Jesus, and he will lead you and use you and sustain you unto the end. Now, I want us to close by singing, so come and lead us in our song. We're going to sing, He Leadeth Me, O Blessed Thought. It's the last hymn they sang in the First Baptist Church of Dallas when Truett was retiring after 47 years. He wanted them to sing, He Leadeth Me, but that could be the testimony of every one of us if we will yield our lives to Him. He doesn't lead us against our will, but as we surrender our will to Him, and I want you to sing it with your heart and not just with your lips. There's a difference, you know. So sing it with your heart. He leadeth me, O blessed thought.
Let's stand and sing together. All right? Thank you.